0: the urge to protect the desire to take care of life is right there it's part of our essential being as part of our true nature that It's like if the gratitude is the taking in of the wonder, then that urge to protect, to serve, flows so naturally from that. Isn't that so? And it happens at the price of our seeing, of our seeing that there is life being destroyed that there's life being sickened, that there's life being threatened. And so this, too, is in the wonder of our being alive at this moment, not only that we can hear from science and spirituality all right back to the most indigenous traditions that our earth is alive, but also we take in that at this moment of history, we are, human culture is, our political economy is wrecking havoc with uh, the exquisite balance of life, the beauty and intricate interconnectedness of life that's evolved over the millennia and billions of years into such complexity and beauty and responsiveness forms of intelligence and awareness and it's really quite hard to think of another time in the story of humanity, where we could see, we're asked to behold, we were asked to take in uh, so much danger, so much destruction, so much suffering. Of course, there were hard times. God knows there were wars and plagues and famines and natural disasters of plenty through. Uh, all those millennia we humans have been walking the earth but now we have through our technology and the globalization of our economy uh, the capacity to uh, mine the earth and the capacity to uh, fill the atmosphere uh, with the, and our streams in our soil, with the detritus of our uh, manufacturing in our agriculture and our communications technologies. Just reading what, just this thing that most. Folks find, most of us find essential now the smartphone. What, it's, what the cost to our planet is, the cost to our brother-sister beings in the great factories in China that make them under hard conditions, and then the mining and the toxins uh, that aren't needed for that. So we're, we're asked to take this in And that has been, as some of you know, a very big challenge and preoccupation for me. I've been so interested in what the teachings are for us there and how we can be with our world and not turn away. And then what happens for us when we do? Because I have come to believe that's what we really want. We may think we want just the happy mood and whistle a happy tune, but we really I feel that the deepest desire is to be with our world wholeheartedly. And it's come to me, it's been clear to me over the years in the work I do with groups that. We need each other for this. What's happening to our world and our brother sister beings is too much to take in alone. And that is beautifully conveyed better in a poem uh, than uh, by my just rattling on up here.
1: Um, If
0: I can find it. Uh, by my friend poet friend uh, Anita Barrows and uh, I have put this uh, poem uh, in my book Coming Back to Life precisely for this purpose Uh, and I say that the more basic to the great turning that is our response of healing for our world through countless ways that are there for us, more basic, more important than any ideas we have about mending and fixing is the act of courage and love we make when we dare to see our world as it is. And now Anita takes off and she reminds us We do it together. And she says, And I would travel with you to the places of our shame. And I would travel with you to the places of our shame. The hills stripped of trees, the marsh grasses of oil slicked, Steeped in sewage, the blackened shoreline, the chemical poisoned water. I would stand with you in the desolate places, the charred places, soil where nothing will ever grow, pitted desert, fields that burn slowly for months. Roots of choya and chaparral writhing with underground explosions. I would put my hand there with yours. I would take your hand. I would walk with you through carefully planted fields, rows of leafy vegetables drifting with radioactive dust through the dark of uranium mines hidden in the sacred gold-red mountains. I would listen with you in drafty hospital corridors as the miner cried out in the first language of pain as he cried out the forgotten names of his mother. I would stand next to you in the forest's final hour in the wind of helicopter blades the police sirens shrieking the delicate tremor of life between leaves for the last time oh I would touch with this love each wounded place Well, maybe that was what prompted us on an adventure we took together. I had been hearing about the tar sands in northern Alberta. I had heard about the stripping away of the boreal forest, the most visible from space environmental obscenity of this planet and when I was invited to the University of Calgary (laughs) I ran into you at a we we were doing a workshop and I said hey that's your home turf (laughs) should we go together Remember?
2: I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joanna asks you to go somewhere, and you say yes. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Why could you not? Yeah.
0: Even though,
2: you know, you were on vacation. Is
0: is on? Yeah. yeah. How yeah. many oh. years ago? I can't remember.
2: Like five. Years? Uh,
0: yes, I do. I knew, no. It was, um, it was 09. It was right after my husband died. Oh, 09. Yeah. And, um, and so we decided that, that uh, you'd set up a gig for us in Edmonton, and then we'd use uh, the money from that to fly to Fort McMurray and hire a plane. Yes, we did. a five-seater. Okay. Little plane. What did you see? What
2: did we see? So we were, we we flew up to Fort McMurray and then we hired this little plane in Fort McMurray, also known as Fort McMoney these days because uh, it's about a seven hour drive north of Edmonton, if you know Alberta, I Maybe mean, you don't, but. Um, and, and then it's the land of the great Athabasca River. It's, it's moving towards northern Alberta. It, it is in the north of Alberta, moving towards the north of Canada. And so the Great Athabasca River flows through Alberta and into Saskatchewan. It's this very important, beautiful, amazing river. And you know, all the life forms along that river gain sustenance from it. And um, so Fort McMurray is what used to be a little, just a little settlement along the river. And there's lots of indigenous communities who live not far from there. But when they discovered that um, there were these tar deposits that could be removed through a very complicated process and turned into a form of bitumen that, would, that they make could ship to the United States reprocessing. It changed everything. And so they gave licenses to lots of different companies to come in, and that's a whole other story, the kind of propaganda we saw from the, the companies there. Kind of and they were American, by
0: and large. Yeah. yeah. American companies and the uh, process they use incredible amounts of water. So the Athabasca River was being turned into pump, uh, pouring it down, and, and um, so where it's like a deep fracking, and then bringing up this very gooey, hard, it's very crude, uh, after a lot of processing to get oil out of it. And the process not only strips uh, away the trees and their hole in the mines and it's just this. Uh, well, they call it. It's Mordor. It's just uh, wow. dark and skies and black gooey earth and people moving around in huge machines the size of a six-story building and the uh, and then slurry ponds so toxic they don't know what to do with the water and so that. But then this is on flyways and the. Uh, geese and birds would land but if you land there you can never take off again and it's so toxic and so in the that uh, and the steaming oh and we would drive around and we could hear the boom boom and they fire cannon to scare away birds so they won't and and it's and and the United States has Canada over a barrel on this that they have said that they can't stop it without uh, p- being punished by uh, them economically.
2: This is what the whole Keystone, partly what the
0: Keystone pipeline issue is about
2: because they want to make a pipeline from there down here to bring the to bring that tar down. So... So far, we've been able to stop that. But um, yeah, it was really like being in, a, in Mordor for a couple of days. And then it's very complicated, of course, because we rented a car, right? And we were driving. I remember going to the gas station and filling up and just feeling almost, I mean, feeling nauseated when I was putting the gas in the car and just really getting the connection, and also uh, my connection to that. We did a workshop afterwards in the mountains of Alberta, and there, were, there was a couple people there who worked in the, who worked in the in the oil fields there. And um, the, the economy of nowadays Canada, but all of Alberta is totally dependent on it. But now that the price of oil's going down, the economy's crashing the Canadian dollars. It's not so simple. So, you know, it's a great lesson um, on many, many levels. So this song is often awkward story of that experience. Joanna and I, um, there's a video that our friend Julia Lynx made of the experience, you can find it online and you can see us flying and getting in the plane and you can see us when we get off the plane and you can kind of take the journey with us and you can experience this really what that, what it was like. We met a First Nation woman at the airport who approached us and that's part of the other issues, that there's terrible problems now, cancer in the First Nation people and in the animals in the area, and they haven't been able to get their, the story out. There was a Canadian doctor who tried to do it, and people get discredited, and you know the story. So it's it's been, it's been hard for the First Nation people to have a voice, and they've also been, of course, um, recruited into the, the jobs that pay a lot of money.
0: Yeah. You're getting your song out. Ha <laughs> When I'm um, wondering how to measure up to the needs and demands of this planet, time as just one human, I get a lot of strength from and guidance. Uh, from a prophecy that was given to me, and a number of you have heard me share it, it's from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and it's 12 centuries old. And I would like to uh, give it to you, share it with you again, to just let us let us be with it at this moment. It was given to me by Dugu Chugyal Rinpoche of the Tashi Jong community, that is a community of Tibetans in exile that I have been close to, my family and I, ever since we lived in India in the 1960s with the American Peace Corps. So over the years, our uh, lives have been, and mine especially, braided through theirs, a community of uh, lay people and monks and lamas and tulkus from uh, the from eastern Tibet in the Kargyu Drukpa Kargyu lineage. So uh, my best friend and Dharma brother Trugyal Rinpoche, also a great painter. Um, He'd been keeping tabs on what I was doing and the interests I was pursuing and having come back to live in the States. And um, so uh, there was a time when I was visiting when he chose to give me this. Uh, It was actually uh, in 1980. Ronald Reagan had just been elected. That was uh, New Year's of 80. And uh, I'm going to tell it to you uh, as uh, just pretty much as I heard it. And uh, those of you who are familiar with Buddhist teachings will probably get it that the protagonist in this, the chief actor, The Shambhala warrior is actually a metaphor for the Bodhisattva. And the Bodhisattva is the one who uh, knows how radically, intrinsically we are connected with all life, the one with the boundless heart, the one who knows that there is no private salvation. There comes a time when all life on earth is in danger. Great powers have arisen, barbarian powers. And although they waste their wealth in preparations to annihilate each other, they have much in common. Among the things they have in common are weapons of unfathomable devastation and death, and technologies that lay waste to the world. And it is just at this time, when the future of all life on earth hangs by the frailest of threads, that the kingdom of Shambhala emerges. Now you can't go there because it's not a place. It exists in the hearts and minds of the Shambhala warriors. And actually, you can't tell a Shambhala warrior by looking at her or him because for them, there are no uniforms, no insignia, no banners to show what side they're on, no barricades behind which to rest or regroup or to stand and threaten the enemy. They don't even, the Shambhala warriors don't even have any home turf because ever and always they negotiate their way across the terrain of the barbarian powers and he said Joanna the time has come when great courage is required of the Shambhala warriors moral courage and physical courage because they're going to go right into the heart of the barbarian powers and dismantle the weapons weapons in every sense of the word they're going to go to where the armaments are manufactured and deployed they're going to go into the corridors of power where the decisions are made and dismantle the weapons and he said Joanna mark this the Shambhala warriors know that these weapons can be dismantled. Why? Because they are mano maya. That means mind made. They are made by the human mind so they can be unmade by the human mind. Because the dangers that threaten us now are not visited upon us by some evil extraterrestrial force or some satanic deity or some unalterable preordained fate But they arise out of our choices, out of our relationships, out of our habits. They are made by the human mind. They can be unmade by the human mind. So he said, now is the time the Shambhala warriors go into training. (laughs) I said, how do they train? (laughs) Leaping from my chair almost. And... He said, they train in the use of two weapons. He actually used that term, though you might prefer tools or something, but he said weapons. What are they, I asked. And he held up his hands the way the lamas hold the ritual objects in the great lama dances of his people. And he said, One is compassion and the other is insight into the radical interdependence of all phenomena. (laughs) And you need both. One is not enough. You need the compassion because that provides the fuel, the motive force to move you out where you need to go to do what you need to do. And what it boils down to is not being afraid of the suffering of your world or of yourself. Because when you're not afraid of the suffering, then nothing can stop you. But by itself, that's hot. It can burn you out. And so you need the other. You need that wisdom or insight into the interbeing of all things. And with that, you know, that's so important. With that, you know, this is not a battle between the good guys and the bad guys, but that the line between good and evil goes through the landscape of every human heart. And that we are so interwoven in the fabric of existence that even the smallest act with clear intention has repercussions and ripples through the web beyond your capacity to see. But that's a little cool. It's a little obstruct, isn't it, he said. So you need the heat of the compassion. You need them both. As he said that, I felt I'd gotten my marching orders. And I thought of the monks in the puja hall, how then they're chanting, they're often making moving gestures with their hands. And I thought, of course, they're dancing the interplay between compassion and wisdom. Well, I was so excited. My family was visiting at the time and I raced down to the valley side of the community and I burst in and said, you won't believe what I just heard from Chujo Rinpoche. And I told them the whole prophecy. First time I told it. And my son Jack said, when after I finished, he said, but mom, didn't he tell you how it's going to turn out? <laughs> I'm so glad that you laughed, because I laughed, too. And I said, honey, if Chu remember Rinpoche had tried to tell me how this is going to turn out, I wouldn't have believed any of it. And don't you believe anyone who tries to tell you how this great drama, this great turning is going to turn out. Because it's precisely our not knowing that summons our creativity and our alertness and our presence. If I told you, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Or if I said, as you actually hear people, and I say, it's too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's just that knife edge, razor edge of uncertainty. That keeps us present, on our toes, glad to be there. (laughs) So, uh, I would like to offer you a a practice uh, for the Shambhala warrior in you and a process. Uh, This is from the same, about the same uh, vintage as the Bodhisattva teaching. It's about over 2,000 years old. Uh, You use your breath, just as we use our breath to remind ourselves that we're alive in a living, breathing web of life, and we're being breathed through. We are being breathed. Uh, So also, we turn to our breath in so many other ways. The breath is such a great friend, isn't it? I mean, it's always there. Wherever you go. Whatever you're doing. Yeah, so uh, this is a practice when you're uh, being greeted with some bad news, uh, like uh, yesterday that President Obama's agreed to drilling in the Arctic. And so. So, you know, there's a lot of that. Uh, and. Or just uh, looking at uh, the homeless on the street, or the, yeah. So here's here's the practice. Um, it's like tonglen, but it's different. Tonglen is when you breathe in the pain and the darkness. And it's transformed, and you breathe out in your heart, and you breathe out healing and light. So that's great. It's, this is different, though. There's also the uh, uh, more Hindu oriented practice where you uh, breathe in uh, the light and breathe out the garbage. And uh, so that's wonderful, too. And there's uh, the anapanasati of just mindfulness of breathing in and out. That's great. Uh, Where you just use it to study, study, and be present. But this is, uh, we call it breathing through, where you picture your breath like a ribbon of air or a stream of air coming in, up through your nose, down through your windpipe, to your lungs. And then by the power of your intention and your imagination, you take it through your heart. And then on out into the web of life. Don't hang on to it, because what you're going to breathe through, like granules of sand on that stream, is the uh, bad news you're encountering, the painful information, the things your eyes don't want to see, the things your ears don't want to hear. And instead of throwing up your defenses, or instead, even before saying, what do we do about it? Even before that, you allow it to Register. That's a sacred act. There's a little gap there. You allow it to register. And you do the bold and radical act of breathing it in on that stream of air, tanking it down, and then by power of intention and imagination just let it flow through your heart right through the very core of you. So you're like a, you're totally vulnerable to it. And then let it out. Because the, instead of paving it over and pretending that you didn't hear it or don't need it or you're going to do something about it to make it go away because it's so terrible you actually let it register through you in that way. So it's it's brave and also extremely liberating. Because for a moment you're freed from you know all that other kind of busyness. So let's try it. I'm gonna ring the bell, we're gonna try it for just a few minutes, because the biggest Where I use it is in action. But so we'll just practice it here. So, you visualize this ribbon of air, the stream of air flowing through you. You take elements, details of what is hurting our world today or your life, the suffering of our world and other beings could be little details, hands on gripping a bar, feet running through rubble. People sitting in military barracks, people flying drones, people waiting for rain, people beings beings in the ocean, what have you. You just let these Come up and then, or even the Arctic, since I just mentioned it, and like these granules, breathe those granules of suffering in and take them through your heart. Now maybe no images come up for you of the world's pain, so that's okay. Maybe it's just numbness, blankness. Well then breathe that blankness through. It's a very real part of our world today, the blank and the numb. Breathe it through your heart. Or maybe it's not the world's pain but your own your own family your own work your own body your own health your own relationships and the sorrows there breathe that personal anguish through it's a very inseparable part of our world's pain and take it through your heart and if you think like you feel like your heart could break well the heart isn't actually an object that can break But then they say, the heart that breaks open can hold the whole universe. It's that big. Any questions about that or comments? The, um, yeah? Well, in the other Tang Ling practice, you transform it and then it goes out. But does this just hang in your heart? No, do not leave it. Just let it flow through your heart. Well, because you don't, there are times, the reason why that uh, I don't just stick with the Tonglen is because there are so many times when I'm greeted with something and I just don't feel up to it. I might be too irritated or I... uh, whether it's I care, don't care enough or it hurts or I'm too mad or I'm too, uh, you know, well, let them go ahead and serve them right. You know, there's that. So that there are times, also with me, there's a little uh, fix-it feeling there that I'll take it in, but I'll make it nice. And uh, I don't mean to in any way to downplay Tonglen because it's wonderful, but uh, there are times when just uh is is uh that's that's all i can do and it's enough you know where it's good too is (laughs) somebody comes up to me and says joanna can i give you a little feedback and there's that little moment (laughs) and then i say, oh yes Well it's a great time to just breathe it through. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to transform it, but you know. that's different
1: than pushing it away.
0: But this is it. Into it, into it. This is the thing that so often, because we have each one of us I think, almost everybody I know in this culture has grown up through education and institutions and language hyper-individualized of being treated and think of yourself as a skin-encapsulated person, ego, lonely cowboy ego, you know, uh, and and that's the way, that's what our economy is built on. So it's so uh, wonderful to be able to uh, just <sighs> let it be and sort of, you know, uh, Shanti Deva, a great 8th century saint scholar, in his Entering the Path of the Bodhisattva, he said, Let all sorrows ripen in me. Get a load of that. <laughs> wow. Let all sorrows ripen in me. And that makes me think of making compost that uh, my son Jack, the same one who whom I quoted before, uh, his he worked for years uh, being state compost coordinator and and he would take me around to these huge compost installations and put in a long, yard long thermometer. And oh, it's getting hot, it's ripening, it's getting very good. So it's all the rejects. You take, uh, you don't want to pave over the suffering. Suffering has something so wonderful in it. Suffering tells us that we. Uh, care. Suffering is the more and more we. It's, it's the other side of love. Is you give a shit about it, you know? And so that Shambhala warrior, that first weapon, that was to not be afraid of the suffering. See, this is so important for our culture because. We are so afraid of it, we pathologize it. Our pathologizing of suffering keeps high profits for the pharmaceutical industries, let alone some very noble professions. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, and you don't even need to spend too long feeling it. <laughs> I mean, because it's, you feel the shock of it. It's just uh and just breathe it through. I like take that. I was so, and I immediately wanted to because they said, okay, we all we need is thirty-five thousand dollars to, uh, you know, and this was a good cost. But I thought, wait a minute. This is something terrible. And I just, so I wanted to be with it. And now I'm a person walking around in my beautiful, endangered world, and I'm not ignorant of what's happening to them. And my network of care and my love for the Arctic Ocean is strengthened. For the good, honest, sharing... <laughs> Thank yourself also. Thank yourself for your honest capacity for grief. Blessed are they that mourn. The source of grief, that source of emotion, that tantric is actually love, you grieve what you love, and if you're afraid to feel Mm -hmm. the pain of grief and loss, Mm -hmm. then your capacity to love shrinks. For a time like this, it's good to have a big missy heart.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, and then ideas get planted and responses, and yeah, and anger too. Anger's such a strong, good motion when you. Not to confuse it with hatred. Especially those of us in Buddhist practice who can hear some teachers misrepresent the three sources of suffering, the three poisons, as greed, hatred, and or it is greed, hatred, and delusion. Sometimes it gets misspoken as greed, anger, and delusion. Anger is a strong life affirming emotion for to repair a relationship it's, a, it's tantric side is a passion for justice thank you yeah yeah and fear to even speak the fear Whew. our culture would have us our Power holders would have us be afraid of fear and be locked in fear and afraid to speak our fear as we're manipulated by fear we're given so many things to be afraid of
1: Joanna when the, when the French were attacked they covered their signs with, with posters that said you're not scaring us we are not afraid of you you will not stop us with your fear
0: <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> Oh, so what a wonderful time to turn to that great practice of opening and fertilizing our hearts at the end of this morning where we've come through gratitude and honoring our pain for the world to affirm the depth and immensity of our caring through Uh, the metta practice and so I look forward to and and uh, our friend Lydia Hartunia is going to join in uh, on the violin on the uh, refrain So we're going to uh, take our lunch break. And uh, so it's. Uh, should we meet back at 2? That gives us an hour and a quarter. Sounds great yeah. Is that time enough?
3: That should be time enough, yeah. I
0: don't want you to have to hurry. <laughs>
3: Thank you so much, Joanna. Um, Before we uh, have some lunches, I have a couple of announcements. Good. Now be a good time?
0: Now is the moment. (laughs) Uh You showed up just in the nick of time.
3: It all comes down to this. So... um, (sighs) The heart in this room... (laughs) So
1: <laughs> I hate to
3: I just I just want to connect with the heart. It just feels so good. Um Thank you so much, Joanna, for leading this work that reconnects us. And Jennifer for sharing your gifts and your words. Um and to our volunteers for supporting the day. Um it's a very special, special, special day. Um, as we move into lunchtime, um, I would like to share um, uh, some logistical announcements with you. We started a retreat yesterday with many monastics and dedicated uh, practitioners up the uh, hill. Um, and those of you who haven't been here before, um, we Um, have a very sacred container. This is an extremely sacred container here, but there's a silent container up the hill. So there's a large wooden gate that we ask you not to pass. There's many signs. um, But uh, (laughs) please, um, you know, you may be curious what it's like up there, but uh, on days when there's not a retreat, you're more than welcome to, to take a tour. But today is not that day. So um, thank you for being on this side of the wooden gate. All of the trails are open to you. Please feel free to enjoy the land. You're welcome to eat lunch outside or in here. Um, There is a microwave in the foyer and there are plateware and utensils and napkins in the foyer as well. If you didn't bring a lunch and you're not sure what to do, Uh, There are local delis and restaurants, and we have a map in the foyer of some local haunts. So, uh, And please feel free to ask me for any questions regarding local places for food. Um, We're going to do our best to keep the temperature very pleasant in the afternoon. I'm going to try to keep circulation in here and have a nice temperature. Uh, we open the bathrooms, we open the trailers where there are additional private restrooms um, that border the meadow, so um, please feel free to make use of those. Um, uh, Jennifer Barrison has an upcoming concert that's almost sold out on Saturday night um, at the Marin Center Showcase Theater in San Rafael. And so, if anyone would like a ticket for that, um, we recommend signing up quickly. Uh, there are uh, some informational flyers on the back table, and someone's at that back table who can help you um, if you'd like to attend that. Um, and um, I, you know, I th- I thought about taking Easter off of work. But when I saw Joanna was here, it's like, nope, <laughs> not going to do that. I got to be here for that. Um, uh, she's just made such a profound impact on my life, um, mostly remote. Uh, I read this book, Coming Back to Life, while I was a monk uh, at the end of my second year. And this isn't something I talk about at all, but... Um, I read this book, most of this book, and it made me want to, um, do everything I could for, for us. Um, and so I disrobed and got a job here to learn how to do that. So, um, thank you, Spirit Rock. And thank you, Joanna, um, there's just so much heart and wisdom, and that combination of the two has helped me to engage. So I really, deeply, profoundly, <laughs> I, I wish I could bow to you a million times, um, <laughs> truly. Uh, you're just one of those elders that I hope lives for a long time. Um, <laughs> uh, um and so I just have so much gratitude for you. Um, and also, Jennifer, I, every Monday night, for those of you who come to Monday nights, I play her CD, Praises for the World, every Monday, uh, and I never get sick of it. Um, just puts me in that um, happy place. So, uh, and just for who you are, I appreciate you.